You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast, the home of all your Rainbow Cup news, of course. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be loads of reactions to the Rainbow Cup coming up. Uh, specifically, over the next hour or so, I'll be spending 58 minutes talking about the Dragons' victory over the Scarlets, and there might even be two minutes to talk about the Lions. Uh, joining me to do that, of course, is uh, is your regular lineup these days. We've got Dan Killick with us. How are you, Dan? I'm very good, thanks, Jed. Can't we got the- at all. And we got the mighty Murph. How are you, Murph? Hello. Uh, n- niceties. Small talk. <laughs> Done. Uh, yeah, despite what I just said there, I reckon what we're going to do is let's do a review of the uh, the Welsh regions in action in the first half of the show. And then we'll go on and we'll have a look at the Lions in the second half of the show. Because obviously there's been some big premiership games this uh, weekend. There's been some injury news, uh, both good and bad, with regards to potential Lions. There's plenty of Lions chat for us to... For us to talk about, um, but first, if you if you want to get through that, we we've got to talk about the Rainbow Cup. Dan, I know you've been mega excited about this one. Did it, did it live up to expectation? Opening weekend of the Rainbow Cup in the, the week that it began, we uh, it changed format once again. Yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, um, well, look, I I suppose it's a bit of a farce, isn't it? But there's some there's definitely some entertaining um, some entertaining rugby on display, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, bucket loads of tries. Yeah, a lot of tries, you know, but it's it's definitely got a, a Mickey Mouse feel to it, isn't it, with the games as well? No one's, you know, there was a lot of poor, there was a lot of poor rugby in there as well, wasn't there? You know, we've we got to be honest about it. It was, um, it wasn't fantastic. 
But um, yeah, I suppose it was always going to be what it is, isn't it? Well, it is really, because like now it's, imagine the Pro 14 or the Pro 12, but without any need to qualify for Europe. It's basically is kind of what you're, is what you're staring at, isn't it? Which is, um, you know, it, it means there's not the intensity there. And I think obviously you, you saw that the minute that the Welsh sides announced their, their starting lineups for the weekend. You know, I mean, obviously Cardiff put out a massively experimental side. Ospreys was, you know, fairly, fairly, well, it was a very strong side, if not their first choice. Dragons went fairly strong, but with, a, you know, with quite a few youngsters in there and then Scarlet's went a bit experimental as well. But yeah, what, what did you make of it, Murph? What was your, your thoughts of the, uh, the weekend as a whole? Well, that, that Cardiff side, uh, it was almost like an end of season. We're looking at who's going to get a contract again. Yeah. Type of side. I, mean, I know obviously contracts are uh, negotiated long before you get an end of season. But it had a look of a side, well, you know, they left out loads of, First choice players, yeah. um, you know, but uh, Willis and all sorts of people, Thomas and everyone, Jared was not there. And, and then so they're having a look at everyone else. And it was like as if, well, uh, to me, it was a, go out and play and we'll see if you're going to be still retained at the club in future kind of thing. Uh, but that is, I mean, and like you say, not everyone, most of the sides didn't go full strength. Cardiff are really second string. I mean, there was some debuts at that level as well, given off the bench and whatever. Um, but the big story is George North, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's... It's depressing. I mean, I don't think there's been any update, any proper update today, because presumably they're waiting on a scan, but it looked like a, a season ender, didn't it? I mean, every time someone's on the floor clutching their knee in agony. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, well, as a bit of a uh, disprover of my point, um, Dan, Dan Bigger did that yesterday and then carried on playing. But that was more of a coming together of knees than a, you know, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever done it when you whack your knee on someone else's knee. Hmm. It's one of the sharpest pains you can have. But um, there was no impact on, on George at all. It was just... His, le- his knee just buckled uh, as he was changing direction, and then he was on the floor writhing in agony. The only, the only vaguely upside of it was he wasn't stretched. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And you just, I don't know, it's, it's the fact that you heard him scream, and then he hit the, he hit the deck and grabbed his knee straight away. You're right; all the signs there are that it's a really bad injury. And I mean, it, it just screams nine months when they do that, don't it? horribly it does doesn't it and you think back to I mean god you think back to Anscombe busting his knee at Twickenham and then trying to play on and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and that's it's nearly two years since that happened and we've got no idea when he's going to play again it's just one of those things the knee that is so it's so so concerning when you see that and yeah you just you do yeah. feel like it's going to it's going to cost him his line summer it does. well I mean even if he even if it's not as bad as feared and he's not you know like a nine month recovery situation it's, it's still going to be severe enough i'd say to keep him out for a couple of months which means they're not gonna they're not gonna select him if he you know if he's coming back to fitness late june or whatever there's no point in having him on the lion's store in july so um yeah i'm sick for him i i, I mean hope there's some kind of mistake being made and he's yeah. just you know a slight brain or something i don't know but it looks it looks really negative should we say 
It does. I mean, obviously, we'll be having a look in the second half of the show at options and what that might mean, who the, the next cab off the rank, so to speak, is. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that in the second half of the show. Just to bring it back to that game, though, let's go to you on this one, Dan. Uh, did we did we learn much out of that game? Particularly, I know exactly what Murph's saying about it having like a players, you know, squad players playing for a contract type thing. Did you glean any bit of insight out of that game? I... I... Not really, Jed. To be honest, I thought it was it was pretty pretty poor quality. Really, there was a lot of um, you know a lot of aimless aimless kicking. I know why. Obviously, we all know why the why the you know the kicking is important. But it was there was just no intensity to the game. Really, was there at all? It just it had a a training ground feel about it. Um, you know, the, the the Ospreys were you know were comfortable were comfortable all the way through. Really. It's very, very easy for them. But I think really when you had a look at the, as sort of you and Murph alluded to, really, when you have a look at the, the lineups and the, the squads, you you could you, you kind of felt that, didn't you, before before the kickoff happened? What did we learn? I, I thought... Um, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic on this, Dan, because you know that's yeah. not normally my thing, but I must be in a buoyed by the fact that the Dragons have, have had a victory this weekend. And I know you always like you always like to look for standout performers, particularly kind of young talent coming through and stuff like that. And there must have been a few people who kind of caught your eye on either side. Yeah, I thought Prothero. I thought Prothero played played yeah. very very well. He's he's a slip of a bloke, isn't he? Um, but extremely sort of dynamic, quick, can change can change um, direction on a sixpence, and he he cuts great great angles. I thought mm. he was he was outstanding and. He's playing really well. He's had a great season, isn't he? So um, he he went well. I thought on um, uh, in on the in the front row. I thought uh, the young hooker, Ivan Phillips. Ivan Phillips, yeah, played well. He's um, you know his throwing in went well. He's all round the park, all action. Just offers him a little bit different, doesn't he, to the twos that we've got? I like he's, him. He's really, really quick as well. I think he's got he's got a kind of explosive pace. He carries well. He's good over the ball, and and his nuts and bolts looks good. I mean, for for me, I think yeah, you know, like we say, if there is a development game over the summer, I'd like to see him involved in that Wales squad. And you know, I think his where he is at the moment. Obviously, I know everyone's kind of very excited about Lake, but I do. I do get the fear. Well, no, I, I, based on what we've seen so far, he is further along. I mean, obviously he's a bit older. He's, I think he's about 24, Phillips, but there's, I think that he's got a bit of X factor about him. I'd like to see, I'd like to see him get a, a decent run with Wales, really. Yeah, I do as well. I know. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of the talk is about Derry Lake, but you know, obviously the throw in is so important and he's, he's, you know, he's um, he has. Yeah. So yeah, I would put um, even Phillips ahead of him and he's all action. Yeah, just so great, you know, good game from him. Um, I think on the on on the on the Cardiff side of things, Tuvy. I thought Tuvy struggled in that game in quite a big way, and um, when um, when the switch came over and and Ben Thomas went into ten, there was a, there was a lot more happening. Was, it, was uh, it a missed opportunity to play Ben Thomas at 10? Or is it more likely that next season we're going to see Ben Thomas possibly, you know, as a second playmaker, either at 12 or at 15 because of Priestland and Evans? What do you what do you think? Was that a bit of a missed opportunity? 
I think potentially, yeah. I mean, it's they, they Cardiff Cardiff know he's not going to play ten, don't they? So they're obviously keeping him in the in the centre berth, yeah, to to try and get him, I suppose, reading as a as a playmaker. But in a game like that, I just think that you know he knows he knows the twelve role. There's going to be some changes at ten anyway, so why not have him at ten? Mm-hmm. And you could just see the centres, the wingers. I'd say even the forwards as well started reading the game very differently when he was there. Um, so I felt like that was quite dis- that was quite disappointing, really. That he that he I would have been a lot more excited than if he was if he was in that posi- if he was in that um, that starting ten slot. What about you, Murph? Anyone stand out on either side for you? I thought a couple of a couple of the selections were interesting on the Cardiff team at first. Um, Owen everyone, Lane, everyone was out of position, weren't they? I mean, like I'm just going to say Owen Lane at 13 because he thinks he's a 13. He thinks he's a centre, and he's been on the wing for mm. three seasons, two seasons. Yeah, three. And, then, and with the way things have moved along now, with Jonathan Davis, maybe not. I want to say past it, but you know, uh, coming to the end of his career, should we say? Uh, there's just like a shortage of pace at 13 across the country, so. Yeah, it could be an opportune moment for Owen Lane if, if it works out to play at 13. I think it might have been where I, I, I didn't pay attention properly, but it might have been where the whole 15 was home, home homegrown. Oh, uh, I can't think of any imports there. Uh, anyway, so outside, I thought Ben Thomas at 15 was interesting as well because uh, he's got that kicking game and everything. And then obviously at 15, you can move up to first receiver on occasion. So I don't know if they, they. I don't know what their plans are for him, to be honest, because uh, they got Reese Priest in arriving next year, and Jared obviously is just extended. Uh, the other one that stayed stuck out for me because I, only because he outplayed his opposite numbers by so much was the Ospreys line. Was it Aubrey? Aubrey, yeah. I um, noticed him much before, but I thought he was really good. Yesterday. I thought he had, yeah, he had an excellent game. I think that again they got a little. Um, a cluster of good young nines down there, haven't they? With with him and uh, Morgan Williams and uh, yeah. you know, Harry Morgan, is it? Um, yeah. And then Venter is the old guy. Venter is the old guy, and obviously Webb knocking oh. around as well. Yeah, Reese Webb. I don't know. I don't know how far away he is. Do you? Well, from fitness, I don't think yeah. he. Could, I don't think he could be far off. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's some some good options there. I thought. Um, I thought again, the pack went well. Death service, if you think about it. All in one club, four, re- you know, four. Well, uh, a, a lion and, and yeah. three really good prospects. Uh, aside from Brenter, obviously. Yeah. Was, uh, when it, just on the subject of when someone's going to be fit, I suppose the whole world now is looking at when Manning, Manu Tuolagi is going to be fit. Murph, you're going to have to wait for the second half, man. I don't know how many times <laughs> I've got to say it. Well, it, we, you know, it's on the same subject as George North getting injured, so I, it I, is. I could drop that in. We'll, uh, we'll, de- we'll definitely get on to it in the second half, 100%. 100%. Let's uh, have, a, have a look at the uh, at the Dragons game now. And um, am I right in thinking you fellas haven't caught up with this one yet? Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, questions over to you then, I guess. Dan, you, you, seem to really, <laughs> you seem to really enjoy being in the question master's seat the other week. Why don't you, uh, why don't you have a stab? I did enjoy that. Yeah, I get my, get my hat back on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jed, <laughs> what did you make of that game? Uh, mate, exactly the same as uh, as the Ospreys game in terms of intensity. I think that it, 
yeah, it's a mixture. Someone mentioned it in the commentary as well. It has a real pre-season feel to it. It's like the games that we had. Do you remember when after lockdown um, and the Pro 14 came back? To, did it come back? Well, do you remember there was those derbies we had at the like in August yeah. last year? I can't remember which bloody season it was attached to now, but uh, it feels like that. You know, it's kind of like it's some games to fulfil a contractual obligation and it doesn't have the intensity of... Uh, of your, you know, of your usual derby match. But that said, you know, there was some, there's some nice stuff in there from the Dragons. Scarlet's defence is worrying. And, you know, when we're talking actually about, uh, about, you know, John Fox again, he played it, he played at 12 and um, he looked a shadow of his, of his former self. And, you know, again, I'm hoping that's just ring rustiness and, you know, he's going to, he's going to get back because he was, he was, admittedly, he was, he was a bit exposed for Jonah Holmes' first try, but Holmes absolutely, Gassed and skinned him around the outside, you know, took it, took his try really well. So there's, there's, you know, Scarlets have been hammered points wise in their last three games, you know, Connor Sale and, and the Dragons. And that's not, you know, that's not a, a particularly encouraging signs for them. Now, was it individual? Comment. Was it individual um, errors or was it systems? I get the feeling that again you got a lot of untried combinations in there today. So you had a lot of players playing who perhaps uh, you know haven't played together on on that many occasions. You know you had, I think so you had Blacker at nine, uh, you had Costello at ten, John Fox at twelve. Uh, you had uh, Tom Rogers on one wing. I can't remember who the thirteen was now. Um, but yeah, I th- you kind of get the feeling that that had something to do with it. But if it's three games on the spin, you know, this game might be a preseason game, but the one against Sales certainly wasn't, and and that looked like that looked like systems failure from from what I saw. You got your hand up there, Murph. No, oh, sorry, no, I was, adjusting, <laughs> <laughs> I was adjusting my laptop uh, forward, and it looked like I was reaching out. To, no, uh, I was just going to say that they all feel that these games feel a lot like preseason games because in this part of the world, I don't know them. Are you? But there's been hardly any rainfall in April. Yeah, so the pitches are rock hard. Yeah. The backs, you know, having to fill in their boots, and all the forwards have probably got blisters everywhere because they don't they don't want to they don't want to switch to short studs in case it affects their scrummaging. So um, <laughs> yeah, it feels very much like that kind of a. I mean, it, I suppose you could say end of the season because it is April, nearly May, and normally the season be finished early May. But um, yeah, it it it, it just favours the attacking. You know, type of rugby we're seeing not not just uh, in this neck of the woods, but over the border as well. So yeah, I I think the encouraging thing just to to kind of touch on the dragons and wrap up this game. We are, you know, I've said a number of times, you know, how there's a real crop of talented kids at the dragons, but they need to kind of, you know, they need to step up, and you know, the players who've been there in the first team for a few years have got to be able to kind of help them step up and get over the line. And I think we're kind of get, you know get into that stage now and again Owen had a really exciting game in the centres uh, I think he you know he's, he's performing really well Jonah Holmes has been a complete revelation and I, I think I said to you Dan I might even said it on air but I don't think I realised quite how good a player he was you know I didn't watch him that much yeah. in Leicester and, and he is a real real attacking threat you know Rio Dyer, like like Murph saying this is this was a game for Rio Dyer. defences opening up you know loads of loads of ball in playtime pitch as hard as you'd get in the you know in the high felt in in South Africa it was a real game for Rio Dyer and he showed what we know he's capable of and that's just you know 
he's an absolutely lethal athlete and uh, and showed some nice touches with it. So there's, there's lots to like about it, but I think the really encouraging thing was uh, Moriarty and Wainwright just both had stormers. Moriarty carried hard as you like, smashing through people, making yards all the time. Uh, Wainwright was there in support. They linked up really well. The hands were good between the two of them. So yeah, some good progress and they got over the line in the game as well. So actually, you know, if you look at the Dragons last, or whatever it is, last eight games, there's a there's a fair few wins in there. So yeah, I think there's there's lots to be there's lots to be encouraged by during that game, even if it is, you know, even if it is a, a bit of a preseason game. Would you be concerned as a if you were a Scarlets fan? Because there's a lot of a lot of talk online, isn't there? I, th- I think you, yeah. I mean, there always is, though, because I think the expectation is always more out west, isn't it? You know, they've got, they've been the most successful professional side in the last, uh, well, however many years, five six years, and they have a higher budget than anyone else. They've got a very good squad. They've got a lot of talented youngsters. They're not firing as they need to be, and um, you know, I think I suppose the question is obviously with Dwayne Peel coming in. Is he going to be able, you know, are they going to be able to make that switch off the pitch so that uh, it makes a real impact on it? Uh, so, yeah, I think there's there's definitely cause for concerns, less so this game, but certainly, you know, the Connacht and Sale fixtures are, are ones to be very worried by. And then if you, you know, if you mess around with your starting lineup a bit, you're opening yourself up to um, to losing this game. So, yeah, oh, there's, there's plenty for them to think about. A last question for you. Outside of the backs, how did the um, how did the packs go? Just you know, scrummaging wise, it was very very windy at Rodney today, and I think <laughs> it was like watching watching the line out. It was a bit like watching the line out from the seventies. You know where you get the like the ball to get bobbed up, and then there's people going for the second ball as it's as it's up in the air, like a as if it's a beach ball type thing. That was quite enjoyable. Uh, scrum went went. Rob well Evans was back, wasn't he? He was again, you know, it's probably not a um probably not a fixture that will necessarily live long in the men- in the memory for him. Um but yeah, I, I don't know how did both packs go. I mean, you know, I think Dragons had the better of the of the um of the set piece, I would say. Um but again, there was quite a few line outs lost because of the because of the wind. There wasn't that much scrummaging, but when there was drags got, you know, did all right with a you know, with a fairly inexperienced front row as well. So yeah, lots to lots to like about it from a Dragons perspective. Lots of thinking to do from a from a Scarlets one. All right, last point on the Rainbow Cup before we go for a, a break, uh, or the Rainbow Trout Cup, as my wife has been calling it. <laughs> um, so we've seen the introduction of some experimental law variations. Uh, I'll just uh, refresh your memory of them because I don't think we saw too many of them. Um, there's the the dropout instead of a five meter scrum. So there's a dropout from your line, kind of rugby league style. We didn't get to see one of those in either of the Welsh games. Uh, there's the red card replacement uh, rule. So you can bring on a replacement player after 20 minutes if someone gets red carded. And there's the captain's challenge. Uh, what do you guys think about these uh, about these law variations? Let's throw to you on this, Murph. I like the captain's challenge. Um, yeah, it's been used in... Uh, Super Rugby in New Zealand, mm. or well, I, I can't pronounce what they're calling it actually. But um, Aotearoa, <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it I know um, there's been a few occasions where in international games where I wish the um, 
Welsh captain could do the T sign to the ref and say, come on, have a look at that, please. Uh, norm- normally, Alwyn Jones is getting forearm smashed on the floor. I'd like him to get up and go, ref, can you just yeah. check what happened to my face? But, he, you know, I've said before, he, he doesn't, when he's getting knocked about, he doesn't seem to make anyone aware of it. He just carries on. Um, so, yeah, I like that rule. Uh, I don't know about the dropout. I think they're just trying to avoid scrums. Aren't they? That's the one I like, actually. I just think there's there's enough scr- there's enough scrums going on everywhere on the pitch. If you hold someone up over the line, I feel like a, a goal line dropout is probably quite a good way of restarting the game, isn't it? Well, like I say, they're just trying to avoid scrums. Mm. I mean, I think it'd be a, in winter when you're having a game that's dominated by scrums. I think then it would be an idea, like you know. And um, what was the other rule? The other one is this red card replacement thing. Seeing, I don't get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a reaction to to the fact that there are so many reds in this era because of the the way they've changed, you know, tackling rules. And we, we've just come through a phase of red cards for challenging in the air. That's kind of players have got that now. It doesn't happen mm. all the time. Uh, the pennies dropped on that one, but we're still getting high tackles. Obviously, we've seen it in the Six Nations and still dominating matches around the all over the place. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think I, when we go through this period of adapting, players getting their tackles lower and not smashing each other in the face anymore, I don't think like red cards after that point are going to be for just out and out foul, foul play. Yeah. You know, so then I don't think this to me that I don't and they'll become less regular. The red cards will be less regular. So I don't think we should keep it permanently where you can lose a player for 20 minutes and then bring, you know, you can bring on a sub on. I think a red card is what, you know, is what it means. You're going to play with 14 men in the rest of the game. And that's what happens if you if you uh, commit foul play. Um, I, I could see the argument to um, having it for, say, two yellows. If you're too yeah. good on 14 men, you can see that you, you maybe have a, a sub on after 20 minutes. But if someone, you know, say for example, someone just goes up and forearm smashes someone in the head. Well, that's that's what happens. You you play on 14 men then because you, you play as a dick. Now he's in the showers and you, you have to suffer the consequences. But like I say, in this period where we're getting all the accidental high shots, then I can kind of see it, but I wouldn't want it permanently. But I think that's the point, though, isn't it? Is that you go through a period of there being a lot of red cards, and you come out the other side where players don't do those things anymore. Like you say, we don't. You very rarely get a red card for a for a challenge in the air, whereas we had a spate of it yes. six or seven years ago. And that's that's kind of what you want to get to now, where you just you just you have a, a spate of red cards for shoulders to the head, which forces teams to coach differently, and as a result, the players end up changing their behaviour. So. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really see the point on that one, and yeah, I'm not sure about captain's challenge either. To be honest, I'm like, there's an, I know, I know what you said. Like, I would have loved there to have been one in that France game because uh, not Alan Peno. I'm doing a, a Damien Peno. I'm caught. I've caught your, uh, I caught your tendency there, Murph. Um, but yeah, I still, I've still not seen a proper replay of that. But Damien Peno caught a big forearm to Alan Wynne Jones's face. That's one where I, I would have liked to have seen that gone upstairs. So maybe. But yeah, it's it'll be interesting. We 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 didn't see a lot of these variations over the weekend, so that's no. wait and see. No, we didn't. Right, I know Murphy's desperate to talk about the Lions, so we're going to take a very quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get his thoughts on the performances of the likes of Dan Bigger. We're going to see who might slot into George North's Lions place if he's not fit. Uh, I'm going to do a, a quick bit of uh, a quick bit of uh, praising the Lord for the fact for the thought that Josh Navidi is going to be fit for the Lions, which uh, gets me very excited. And uh, 
yeah, we'll be discussing all the other bits and pieces from the world of Welsh rugby. All of that coming up very, very soon. Right, second half of the show, boys. Time to talk about the Lions. Where do you want to start, Murphy? You've you've been uh, you've been our eye on the on the Guinness, not the Guinness Premiership. Bloody hell, jeez, uh, <laughs> Gallagher, Gallagher <laughs> Premiership. It wouldn't be yeah, it wouldn't be so embarrassing if it wasn't my day job to know these kind of things. Um, do you want to start with Dan Bigger because it's made kind of a lot of headlines his performance for a number of different reasons. Uh, is he is he in that is he in that pole position for the number ten for the Lions? Uh, well, um, other pundits had, uh, uh, on BT Sport had expressed the opinion last week that he was in poor position just because uh, various factors, the way he's playing, obviously, is the prime, primary one. But, you know, the fact that Johnny Sexton is possibly too far over uh, 30 and different uh, aspects like a loss of form amongst the English um, tens and what have you. So, and then he... You know, on top of that, he played really well yesterday and then came on and uh, soldiered on with an injury and made a try-saving tackle. Well, uh, possibly a try-saving tackle and different things like that. So he's in the headlines. But, you know, also yesterday, um, Marcus Smith had a blinder. And then um, I think you, you, Dan, saw Andy Powell was mentioning that yeah. he should be, should be on the tour. But, and that's fine. I, I've I've championed... Marcus Smith before I can't I mean I just cannot believe he's not in the English squad same as Sam Simmons just it's just ridiculous they're not in the English squad uh, but yeah the only thing that's getting up my nose at the moment because obviously people have said the same thing about Joe Simmons uh, commentators on BT Sport have said about Joe Simmons form what merits being looked at for the Lions which is fine and it's fine for Marcus Smith I, I prefer him myself to uh, uh, Joe but what they don't do, those people, like Andy Powell, who, who are, I'm a ma- massive fan of, and not just because of golf buggies. I got I can tell you a story about him at my rugby club, actually. Um, but what they don't do when people say things like that is say which of the incumbents they would drop for that yeah. person to go in. If, you, yeah. if you're going to pick Marga Smith, you're either dropping Bigger, Farrell, Sexton or Finn Russell or something like that. You can say these names till you're blue in the face, but until you work out on paper who you're going to let down for someone who's never even played an international match, then it's just guff, really. Uh, I mean, uh, Joe Simmons, I think, has had a game for England, hasn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, like a World Cup warm-up or some nonsense. Something like that, yeah. yeah. I don't... I... But, and he's played in, in, in you know, when his defence has played in European Cup finals very successfully, whereas Marcus hasn't, in my view. But which proven top quality international outside half are you going to leave out for these guys who've had a good game last Saturday that's that's always my argument with that I think you're spot on there Murph and the other thing is like we said when we selected our squads and if if you haven't had a chance to listen to that go back and um, they're still there you know get a chance to if you do get a chance to listen to those Um, but like we said if you look back at Gatlin's previous two tours he's only taken two out and out tens and with that in mind, it's not like you know. It's not like you can have four outside half options, and then you're gonna. There's going to be a you know a, a wild card like a Simmons or a, a Smith. And again, they're, they're both fine players, but it's just too it's too late for them because we know Gatlin likes players who performed at the highest level. And you're right, European Cup final is is big. You know, it's definitely big. But there's 
not having test match rugby is a is quite a prohibitive factor, especially when you've got people with bags of experience in front of you. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I think I said this last week. If you're going to pick a, a bolter of a, a, an English, English outside half, quite a lot of those people would also think that Owen Farrell's going to go as well as the 10 12 slot. So, in a season like, and I know I'm repeating myself, but I think the point is worth dragging out and making again is that uh, in a season when English outside half play has been absolutely not, not necessarily their fault, that the, the, way, the way the whole team played has meant that English outside half play has been absolutely shite. You're going to take two English outside halves on the line store. Mm. You know, and, and who, who, like I say, who are you going to drop instead in, in, in to bring those guys in? So I just think, you know, and I, I do it as well, but people get carried away on the build-up to a Lions store. Yeah. Every time someone has a good game or if they're a favourite player, like Marcus Smith is a favourite player of mine, ooh, he should be in, he should be in. But, you know, realistically, you can't. I mean, and you I, just can't. Absolutely. And I think there's there's some things, you know, like you could argue that in, in that nine slot, which is a bit troublesome, you know, it's uh, that if there was someone who went on an outrageous run of form, that they could that they might sneak in despite not being in their international side something like that but at 10 like you say there's so there's so many proven internationals there already that i just i just don't see it happening so yeah it's got to be oh sorry say, luckily we've got we've got a, a proven 10 in our in our ranks so i was gonna have to throw it. over to you there mate lots of international experience big games european games you name it so i think it's about time i come in on this isn't it but I think the most frustrating thing for me is that Eddie Jones hasn't given any of those players the chance. So, they, yeah, like Murph said, they can play as well as, you know, they can have blinders. And, yeah, Marcus Smith, he had, he had, a, he had a great game. He's been, been great all season, hasn't he, really? And, but unless he's, unless he's playing international rugby, he's not going to get a chance for the Lions. He's, it, it, just, it just isn't. And... Yeah. It's so frustrating. I think for every for everyone, you know, Eddie, if Eddie Jones keeps playing, you know, picking these players that aren't that shouldn't be there, then you know, how frightening would it be if he if he started picking the players that uh, that deserve a crack, you know? I mean without going down too much of a wormhole into into Eddie Jones's selection dilemmas, that's the thing that I find, you know, so baffling about it is that he has hinged all his hopes on those Saracens players recovering form because they're the spine of his team and he's built his team around them for the last however many years. But he's it's not like he hasn't got options. You know, that's the thing. He's got, You've got too many options, think, options and he's not looking at any of them, which, you know, has, has obviously, I, I think, as a result, they've, they've suffered. But yeah, just to, to finish on that kind of, you know, inverted commas, bolter uh, status... The difference with, I think, you know, Sam Simmons, who we were championing, is I do think that despite there being, a, you know, a wealth of fantastic back row forwards, I do think that there is an option for an eight. You know, I think Toby's Toby's got his spot nailed down, but the, because of the form of, of Vunapola, because we're not sure where the stander is, um, has necessarily got, you know, perhaps the, the appetite to, to go for a, for a big test series. That there is the opportunity for that for that almost like wild card spot there. There just there just isn't at ten, and particularly where it's like in a test match series, that's the almost the most important position on the on the field, isn't it? So yeah, don't don't see it happening there. Um, let's take a look at the centres though, because we're going to have to. I think 
uh, if, if that North injury is as bad as it looks. Who do you think is the, the, realistic, um, the realistic replacement there, Dan? Anyone that you think will, be, will, will step up? Is Manu going to be fit? Well, I think, I mean, if we look at our side, we didn't pick, we didn't pick Jonathan, did we? We did. So I think, you know, for, for, from our side, I think, I think, you know, with North out, Jonathan's, you know, Jonathan's in. Um, it's a, he, that, that's a big bank on returning to, to previous form, um, which like we've said before, he did that. He did that four years ago, and and was player of the series. Um, but he is, yeah. He, he didn't look. He didn't look good again today. He's. I don't know. It's it's going to be. It's a big ask. And was he at twelve today? He was at twelve today. Yeah. He's at twelve. Yeah. So I think you know he's there or thereabouts. We didn't pick Ringrose, did we? Um, there's there's options which it, it makes it so. George's injury makes it so much more complicated. I think yeah. for the selection, but I, I imagine, you know, they, they you know, we're, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the comings and goings and who might burst onto the tour. Uh, quite a few of the more sensible pundits say that they think they dinked a lot of them in ages ago. You know, mm. they probably would have had an idea of who was definitely going at the start of the Six Nations and filled in the gaps during the Six Nations. He was watching Exeter and whoever Exeter were playing yesterday. Bloody hell. I watched they played Bristol on Friday, didn't they? Friday, yeah. He was at that game. And Sam Simmons had a good game. So, I mean, you know, maybe he's looking at a couple more spaces that he's got open. But generally speaking, they've got usually a fair idea of everyone's going. And then standby players, players they would also be looking at. And I would imagine he had an idea of, I, I mean, this is guessing, but he had an idea of who he wanted and then, who would be called up in an in in event of injury? And you've mentioned uh, in the past Chris Harris, uh, Jed. Yeah, players like that, they're all going to be on and Ring Rose. Yeah, they're all going to be on the list. Um, yeah, Harris is a good shout. Yeah, so and obviously he probably knows exactly when Tuolagi is going to be fit and whether it's early enough. So um, yeah, it makes uh, George's injury, and I, I, the more we talk about, it, the more convinced I am that he, he will make the tour even though we don't you know a scan tomorrow could come back quite good i don't know but uh it just it's a really tricky one to fill because obviously like we said he's got the uh, cover covering wing as well so um yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think he might he might even have to start looking at outside centers playing now um unless he's already made his mind up but uh it's not to me it's not obvious the replacement is not obvious yeah, it's uh, you're right. It's kind of blown it. It's blown it wide open, I think. And yeah, I mean, the main the main thing is well, not the main thing. Sorry, but it's easy to think. You know, when we start debating who the replacement should be, you forget what a crushing blow this would be for George North personally if he misses out. Yeah. I think, particularly because he's worked so hard to get back to. Four, you know, he went four years ago as a winger. He didn't you know he didn't look himself. He never looked like he was going to get a sniff of the Test team. Yeah. And he's you know he's he's kind of really rebuilt his um his form and then to come back and you know play a new position and, and really take to it you know I know he played there before but you know to to really nail down that 13 spot uh it's a real it's a real blow because I you know I, I was absolutely convinced he would have been on that plane. I think uh, a lot of the back play as well Jed would have been built would have been built around him as well on on, on the ball or off the ball. Mm. It's like I Murph, I think what you're saying there is it's it is a 
if he isn't going, which it looks like he isn't, it is a massive, massive blow to the sort of systems and way in which that back line would probably function. It's, it's huge, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, it really kind, is. It's the kind of one that you need a fully firing to Alangi to fill. Yeah, like, I think, you do. Yeah, and, I, and I really like Chris Harris. And, and I think that if he comes into that side, he would do a really solid job, but it wouldn't be a flashy, you know, a flashy. It's all about brilliant defensive, you know, defensive organisation, which there's a lot to be said for. But in terms of having an X-factor centre, two Alangi and North are, are the ones that really do it, I think. Yeah, but I, I mean, as it stands... Uh, uh, Henry, if we're assuming, because we're completely biased and and, and also probably factual, uh, that North would have been in the Test 13 slot, um, uh, whatever happens in selection now, there's probably Henry Slade in pole position. Probably. Um, yes. And he, he uh, I, I don't think he's playing his, his best rugby uh, at the moment, but quite often, you know, people have average seasons like we've just mentioned with Jonathan Davis and then then Interstellar when they get on tour so he's got the ability to do that so why wouldn't he do that but he's he's not playing he's not having his best season I don't think he carried injuries I think into a couple of the Six Nations games as well um, but yeah he, he'd he be pole position now for the 13 just because he, the pecking order that was already in place so um, yeah it's a, I, I'm really sorry for him because it would have, would have been his, George's third tour Mm. Um, he's just done his hundredth international cap, and yeah, really sad. It is. I think with with Slade, it's a great point, there, Murph, because you. I think at the moment, I might be wrong on this, but I think two of the two of the test matches are at altitude. I think, and what that means, obviously, you know, is, is someone like Slade and his and his boot gives you another option to get out of trouble to play that kicking game to kick really long and hard and, and, and try and pin South Africa back. And, you know, that kicking game becomes absolutely vital. And that's where, you know, I, I think someone like him does, maybe that was the game plan that was, that was, you know, that was there all along, but I think that certainly has a, has a, an effect. Yeah. yeah. Sad stuff. Right. On a brighter note though, Josh Navidi looks as though he is going to be fit. How big a boost is that, Dan? Oh, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, Navidi, we, uh, we're all such big fans, aren't we, of, of his. And I think, you know, he's got a lot of fans now in, you know, all over the, you know, Ireland, Scotland, England, isn't he? There's, you know, everyone rates him now. So, yeah, it's big. Um, you know, it's good news. Personally, I think it's fantastic for him as well, isn't it? He, um, I, I fully expect him to get the, you know, to get the call up. Uh, just really hope that he does now. I, yeah, I do. I think that versatility just, you know, will keep him. It keeps him in really, really good stead. Not just in terms of like filling in midweek, you know, going all right. You can you can do a job for us at eight in one of the midweekers. I just think it gives you so many options in that back row that you can have someone at six or seven, not less likely at eight for the for the tests, but someone who can turn ball over, who can carry for you, tackles like a bastard. He's got, you know, so, so strong. I just, I don't know. I, I think he's, if he goes, he will be damn close to that test side if he's not in it. You know, he'd be in my side anyway. Well, we haven't really seen him not get, like when he's in and around the Welsh camp, we haven't seen him not get selected in in, in a position. So I, I, 
I honestly think that if he's if he's in the squad, which we all think he is, and and I, and I you know, he, he he's got to be, he should be. Um, it, I, you wouldn't back against him not to be in the not to be in the starting uh, in the starting fifteen, would you? Um, which would be quite fascinating. And uh, Murph, over to you for the for the for the say so. And I think. There was a, I don't know if you saw it going on on Twitter. There's a clip of him being interviewed by Sam Warburton in my clubhouse, my rugby club club. I've not seen I missed that. that. Uh, I think I retweeted it. Or maybe I just shared it with all my friends. Anyway, it was quite nice because the, they caught the club on a good day. It looked really smart. Um, I'm not so sure, actually. I, I'm sure that, that he's merits a place, but I'm not so sure if all other parts of the country appreciate how good Josh is. Uh, it's a position blindside where... Everyone's got their favourite, like you, Peter Armani would have a big following in Ireland. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Richie and uh, Tom Curry, you know, it, it, you kind of get, uh, in the past, there would have been Dan Lydiot here, you kind of get attached to the yeah. dog type of players like that. But I do think people who play against Josh Navidi know how good he is. Yeah. That's an important yeah. distinction because Billy, Billy knows he's been bottled up by him loads of times. And I think other Blind sides know what 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 it's like, and front five forwards know what it's like when you run into Josh. So, um, it, I, I I I think he's the best blind side in the country. But it wouldn't surprise me if Tom Curry took the blind side slot. Really? See, I the more the more I think about it, the more I now see Ty Byrne playing at six in a test side. This is based on Gatlin's thinking, not ours. I could see, I could see Byrne playing at six. I could see Navidi playing at seven. Well, likewise, I could see yeah. Tom Curry pipping him to that as well. And I could, I could see that. Yeah. And look, they're both, they're both quite quality players. And Falato eight, yeah, and yeah. Falato eight. And I think this, this is probably like the biggest point from me is like now we get into get really close to the Lions. Like silly season really does begin on Twitter. It's like, do you know what? They're all bloody brilliant players. Like, if, the, if you go on this tour, whoever gets selected, you know, all those names we reeled off, yes, you'll have your favourites. Yes, you'll have an opinion on who should and shouldn't go. But none of them are going to be players who aren't good enough to go on that tour. Not one of them will not be good enough to go on the tour. They all will be. Well, yeah. Certainly in the back row. Yeah, the back row. Is, anywhere, is Dan, gonna... Anywhere. They'll, yeah. all, they'll all be yeah. Lions quality players because the, the strength of players to pick from is so, is so high now. And and it's always worth remembering, uh, as you as you get older, you, everyone does it every four years. Talks blue in the face about uh, who should be on the plane and who should be in their their test lineup. When it comes to the actual event, it is usually whoever's fit, mm. having made the plane, and whoever's in the best happens if everyone is fit in a particular position. Whoever's played best on that tour, so that's. Mm. There's only eight matches this time around. Sometimes you only get three chances to earn your place on the test team whilst you're on the tour. So, you know, like the one that I always think back to, which uh, grinds my gears, is 2009, Ugo Monje getting the nod ahead of Shane Williams, which was based on and justified on tour form. Shane Williams just wasn't playing very well. They were just, they gave Shane every chance to find a bit of his old form. He He was just in a rut, wasn't he? Yeah, it was like a hangover from being World, World Player of the Year. Yeah. A little bit like Johnny Sexton had. He had World Player of the Year and then the following season, Duff. And that's, that's what happened to Shane as well. But I still disagree with it, even though on form it was right. Yeah. Because 
Shane would have finished those chances that Ugo buggered up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm only dwelling on it for 12 years now. So, <laughs> but um, things like that, it, that, that is how it, pan, it, whatever we pundits and, you know, even the journalists with decades of coverage all over the world, they talk about it to the blue in the face. And then when the time comes, it's whoever's, whoever haven't got, you know, uh, an injury gets, ends up in the 23 on the day. So, do you know what? I think form plays less of a part this time round. Like as in on tour form this time. Because yeah, like you said, there's only eight matches. matches. Yeah, yeah. There's only eight matches. And the other thing I think is that if Warren Gatland had selected that side in 2009, rather I know he obviously he was on the, the tour as a as a coach, but ultimately, you know, McGeekin had the final say so. I think if Gatland had selected that side, he probably would have selected Shane Williams because I think he he holds that big match experience in a lot higher. Uh, in a lot higher regard than, than perhaps Geech, who would have been more of a traditionalist of everyone on this tour has a has a chance to fight their way into the test side, which is what we we all love that stuff about the Lions. But you know, I suppose it's it's probably a bit less valid now than than it was in '97 and certainly in in 2009. Yeah, Jed, because of the versatility of uh, of Navidi and Byrne, um, bench positions. Mm for those two because you, you think of depending on how the game's going Navidi obviously having Navidi on the bench you're not going to want him coming on and he can he can take us in he can take us in a couple of different directions can't he the same with Byrne then as well it's got like the, the, the bench for the Lions is going to be phenomenal isn't yeah. it and it <laughs> it's almost more more fascinating than the actual starting side really but like you oh, know like oh, go on Murph. I'm just going to say that uh, the, the six-two split, five-three split is another thing. Whether whether they're going to follow yeah. the Africans in that is there's all sorts of permutations, and <coughs> there's permutations. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I promise that's not COVID. I've had my job. Um, cream egg. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> more likely. I had one today. I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to grow up. Uh, there's massive permutations in the South African side. Uh, not only have they not played, but like RG Snyman is injured. Yeah. Luke de Jager is injured. Uh, so that leaves, from from the World Cup winning side, that leaves Evan Esabeth, uh, Franco Mostert, who I can remember the name of the other week. Yeah. And then they got to find two. I mean, obviously they got them. Don't get me wrong. They got good second rows. But who are they going to be? And will they then, if, if they if they haven't got RG Simon, Franco Mostert to come on, will they go with a 5-3 split, a regular 5-3 split? So... There's a lot of uh, kind of chess and second guessing to go on actually once the tour starts. Well, this this um, Rainbow Cup thing is no good for them either as well. This disruption that it's caused because again, I think they would have been, you know, certainly it was certainly an opportunity to get uh, to get some of their their key players into into some form. I mean, maybe even some some of the squad positions up for grabs as well. So, mm-hmm. I, I you know, I know they are set to play the games, but it's you know. It hasn't happened yet, has it? They, they didn't have any games this weekend, so it'd be it'd be interesting to see if that does thing that does happen the way things have, have changed so quickly. But yeah, so it's a fascinating point because um, we, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't bank a bank against South Africa unearthing two untried second rows who are both six foot ten and twenty two stone, and they're instantly world class. You know, that's the kind of the kind of way that they churn them out, but. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, I think there'll be some call-ups from the English Premiership as well. Yeah, because they they're the only players they can know we're in for. 
uh, I, I, and you know, there's so many in the English Premiership now, and uh, and even around the Pro 14 and Top 14, uh, that there's bound to be some call-ups anyway. But I think based on the fact that they're the ones who are actually getting week by week games, there'd be quite a few called up, I would imagine, which could be awkward if uh, I don't know which teams, but could theoretically uh, be in the uh, Gallagher Premiership playoff final. And <laughs> the South African national team waiting for them to come down and play the tour. So, um, yeah, so it's so much to, uh, so much to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, God. Clear up, I guess. <laughs> no, the, the lay of the land to, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Some, <laughs> some platitude I normally throw in the end of a sentence when it's your turn to talk. <laughs> Insert that there. <laughs> I'll dig I'll dig I'll dig through some old episodes. I'll get the Murph soundboard. I'll get the Murph soundboard out. Yeah, I, I just I, I lost it there. I've, trouble is I'm only brandy today. That is the that is the trouble. I'm just gonna fill that space with you saying Tommy Price on repeat. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what was the one I did the other way? Oh Elliot D instead of Elliot Daly. Kept yeah, me awake. Right. Kept me awake. Uh, <laughs> I w- I wouldn't worry about it, Murph. I think it all it all adds to the charm. Um, <laughs> yeah again obviously we're going to return to the to, to the lions across the course of the next few weeks but um but yeah that'll probably wrap it up on that for for this front something i did want to touch on i mentioned it very quickly in the introduction to last uh to last week's show obviously we pre-recorded uh, the show that went out last week and in the in-between time uh at the sad passing of john Dawes, who bear in mind we spent a lot of this episode talking about lion centers and you know, had a, a massive impact. And I was keen to to turn to you on this one, Dan, as someone heavily involved at, at London Welsh, a man who made a massive impact there at the Welsh national setup and, of course, for the Lions as well. Yeah, huge impact, um, you know, at, Lon- at London Welsh. I know, you know, London Welsh are, uh, you know, deeply saddened by, um, you know, the loss of, uh, loss of John Dawes. And I know... Um, you know his grandson, um, Roger is, is, you know, is plays for the plays for the club as well, and yeah, just a huge association, isn't there? So, yeah, it's very, you know, it's a very, it's a very sad day, isn't he? And a, 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 you know, a lovely, lovely bloke and you know, top player, top coach, um, and yeah, what <laughs> you struggle to think of anyone that had a, you know, a bigger impact on the game, really, don't you? I mean, the, the coaching thing is fascinating, and it was only a few years ago. And I read a, I read a couple of books that, you know, I think um, you started to realise the the impacts that his coaching had, and kind of going into it at such a young age, um, I think that also speaks volumes of what he must have been like as a leader and as a captain. Um, but I mean, that CV is spectacular, Murph, isn't it? When you look at being the only Lions captain to win in New Zealand, if nothing else, and then going on to to mastermind um, Welsh victories in the, you know, in the six, well, the five nations as was. As a, uh, as a coach, yeah. As a coach. yeah. Uh, I, weirdly, only I know it's, it's the era thing that does it, but mm. only 22 caps for Wales. Yeah. I mean, like Gareth Edwards only had 53 and he was in the side for 10 years yeah. so uh, or more. So it's just the way it was then. But um, I, uh, bizarrely, and this will shock you, I was coached by John Dawes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he was coach of Glamorgan Wanderers Rugby Football Club uh, about 91, 92. And, he, I mean, in fairness, he, he wasn't very committed 
but how would he be after he'd already coached the Lions and the <laughs> international side? Uh, he wasn't very committed as a coach to us, and he didn't stay long. Uh, the only, I mean, lovely bloke though. Everyone, you know, worshipped him at the club. But the only criticism I would have of the guy is he seemed to think I was quite good as a teenager, and I really proved him wrong over the next ten years. So um, yeah, but sad loss. I mean, not that old either. So quite a sad. Well, 80 years old, but you know, by today's standards, it's not that old anymore. So yeah, sad loss. Yeah, it is, and um, and yeah, you know, like I say, the the impact uh, the impact that he's left across the uh, across the Welsh game, and of course, uh, and of course, the Lions is uh, is big. Right, what have we got coming up over the next few weeks uh, to look forward to? Obviously, we'll have more uh, we'll have more Lions chats to come. We will also, of course, be keeping you up to date with the Rainbow Zippy Bungle and George Trophy uh, as. Which which feels more and more fitting that as these weeks go on, it, it descends into a into a bloody mm. episode of Rainbow, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I didn't tell you. My, I didn't tell you my Andy Powell story. Ah, is here's one to finish it's on. Not, it's nothing that's going to make the papers or or, or, or you know incur the wrath of his lawyers or anything. It's a very complimentary story. No, well, let's uh, hear it. My club were playing a playoff against his club, Brecon. He's just finished at Brecon, hasn't he? He's gone somewhere else. Uh, in a in a championship playoff final, so. Pr- for promotion to the championship because we'd won division one East and Brecon had won the cup and division one West. And, uh, we went up there, lost by five points, I think came down or seven, maybe came down here, uh, to Cardiff for the second leg and, uh, beat them convincingly. But towards the end of the game, there was, um, well, I don't know how else to say it, a massive fight broke out on the terrace. Uh, it was like a lot of, kind of Brecon farmer boy types who'd been on it all day stood next to a load of Ely boys who mm. will just wind you up and not take a backward step the whole time. And in the end, with about five, 10 minutes to go, huge kind of <clears throat> football terrace type fight broke out in the stands. And uh, a lot of older blokes piled in to break it up, but you could see it, was, it wasn't over. So the, weirdly, the game carried on. The ref didn't like there was a it was like being it was like 1980s football and um never happened at our club before before or, or since in a, in a whole of our history I might think it's important to point out and um I was shocked it took the shine off the whole thing because we just got promoted and I, I couldn't enjoy it but anyway the ref carried on playing and it looked like it was going to break out again so Andy Powell just walked from the dugout more than halfway across the pitch I spoke to the ref and the ref blew up no, I don't know. I wasn't next to him, so I can't. But I can only assume Andy Paul went, Ref, I think you should blow up. This game's over. And that was it. Uh, and he saved a lot of aggro by just conceding the game, basically. And so, you know, obviously I was already a fan. But after that, I, I uh, a lot of time for him. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, mate. Good, uh, yeah. nice, uh, nice story to finish on. Right. Thank you, Murph. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I think Dan. I'm glad they finished the sentence in that one. Anyway, <laughs> I think Dan the needs... best, better way to end the night. <laughs> Dan needs to go and stick fifty pence in the meter, judging by um, judging by how dark it's gone on his uh, <laughs> on his end of the Zoom. It's like Again. an epi- it's like an episode. Of what was that bloody thing? Like most <laughs> most haunted with Derek Akora. Hang on, I'm getting the uh, the stage set for um... a little bit Blair Witch as well. 
<laughs> oh, Blair Witch. Bloody hell. I'm getting the stage set for... Um, you stand Beauty. in the corner now. I'm going to wet my knickers. <laughs> 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 oh, brilliant. Well, uh, thanks, thanks to you, Dan. I'll let you go in there. Oh, God, look at that. The backlighting, just like making his face look even more, uh, even more sinister. It's terrifying. Yeah, it is terrifying. Uh, thanks, Dan. Thanks to Murph. Thanks to everyone who listened. Uh, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that helps us out massively. Um, and we did have one of these, uh, which I forgot to mention. Thank you to uh, Welsh Italian. I'm guessing that's Joe Calzaghi. I'm, I'm sure he's a listener. Uh, personally, best rugby pod out there. Thank you very much for that review. If you want to do the same, you can do that on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And finally, a thanks, uh, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some great quality coffee, you can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. We'll be back next week to chat rugby with you. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.